Jesus says, when you look out at the world, there's this very large harvest that's ready to be harvested, ready to be reaped, people who are ready to be saved. Back in uh, May, we asked you to put a name on these cards, who's your one? And we placed them on the cross, and we've been praying for them. You've been praying for your one. In fact, I had a woman approach me out in the lobby this morning telling me that uh, her one she'd been praying for accepted Jesus this week. And, yeah, yeah, that's worth celebrating. And I know you have people that are on, on, on your hearts. It's a large harvest, but it's also a harvest that's filled with so many needs. Earlier this week I was in Spartanburg for a few days attending our annual state convention. And so one evening I was in the mood for breakfast for dinner, so I went to IHOP. And I was sitting in my booth with my eggs and my turkey bacon and so on. And, and um, an elderly lady who just had the appearance of maybe being down on her luck, struggling a little bit in life, came in and she was seated in the booth across from me. And you know I could overhear the waiter talking to her. And we struck up a conversation and I learned some things about her. She was divorced. Uh, she'd had a daughter who not long ago passed away, and she was still grieving that. She was dealing with a little bit of uh, depression. She had another daughter with two grandkids, but she had, and, and they lived in Spartanburg where she does, but she hadn't seen them since, since January. And we talked about one thing and the other and talked about Jesus, talked about church. And, and um, I, I suggest, suggested to her, I didn't have a Bible to give to her, so I suggested to her that she ask her daughter, uh, to get her a Bible for Christmas and even wrote down on a piece of paper what version, what translation to get. And and uh, through her, through the waiter, I was able to pay for her dinner. And and uh, she, she said to me the one thing that she wants for Christmas, really the only thing she wants for Christmas, is to be able to see and spend some time with her grandkids. That kind of broke my heart. See, when people are far from God... It's not just about the, the spiritual lostness. There are other problems in their lives. There always are. Sometimes we're aware of them. They're on the surface. Other times they're hidden and we're not aware of them. But when people are far from God, there are spiritual needs. There's relational needs, emotional needs. Jesus wants to heal the human life. He wants to heal our hearts and our souls, not just save us, but save us in life as well. And, and so we need to be praying for our one. And I, this week, I guess I was thinking about her when I walked outside and saw her car, it, it confirmed her situation in life because she was having some car trouble too, and I helped her with that. And and, uh, and yesterday we had the, the funeral in here for Jim Heron, who was the pastor here before me and been in ministry. And last Saturday I was at the hospital up in Charlotte, and the family's in the room, and his, you know, not just his son and wife, but you know daughter-in-law and grandkids and and uh, Susan is singing and Jim sings with her. And here's this sweet moment of family and sweet moment with Jesus and worship as he's, as he's you know, his, his last couple of days here on earth. And, and, and when you contrast what it means to have that relationship with Jesus, to, to be not just in the harvest but harvested because years ago Jim was harvested. He was, he's, he's in the family. And so for him, the end of life was very different, very different from this this woman I was talking to at, at, at IHOP. And so when Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, he means it. But the laborers are few. 
pray to the Lord of the harvest. Who's the Lord of the harvest? It's Jesus. That he will send forth workers, laborers, into the harvest. Who's the laborers? Who are the workers? It's us. See, we're, we're part of the family. We've been harvested, but we still live down here with the harvest. We're out there among it, if you will. And, and God wants to, wants to use us. And I want you to think about this today because, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas are coming up. Two of our, uh, huh? Oh, you like that picture? I thought it was kind of cute, the turkey with this Christmas bell and, you know, red on Thanksgiving and Christmas. See, I found something that pulls them both together. And uh, y'all are going to go home and Google and try to find that picture, aren't you? No, some of you will, some of you won't. Anyway, Thanksgiving and Christmas, you know, we love those holidays. And in modern times, they are primarily about family. Even for those of us who go to church, we can say it's about Jesus. But the truth is, those two holidays for most people in modern modern America, it's about family. Let's just be honest about that. I'm not, I'm not criticizing that. Let's just, let's just be honest. It's about family. Gathering, love, connecting, and when family's not there or relationships are broken, it's painful, especially during those kind of holidays. Um, but it's also true, those holidays are about Jesus. We may not focus on that quite as much as we do family, but but we know deep within those holidays are about Jesus. Thanksgiving, being thankful for all the blessings of God, giving him thanks. Christmas, Jesus, God the Father, sending his son to this earth to live a sinless life and die on the cross to make atonement for our sin, for our salvation, so that that harvest could be harvested, could be claimed, could be reached. It's, it's about evangelism. And, and I think we ought to put those two together, evangelism and family, during the holidays, during Christmas. And I think they, they, they go together. We, we know from social research that in today's culture, Christmas is the easiest time to get someone who's far from God to attend church. Easier at Christmas than any other time of the year. Easier than Easter. More unchurched people are open to religious things, open to the gospel during the Christmas season than any other time of the year. That would be true for our relatives and our friends. In Vision 21, which is guiding how we're planning things and and fixing some of the, what I call the infrastructure, if you will, of how we go about doing things here, talks about that in, in the opening paragraph. It's that we as a family, we're going to be actively engaging the lost in our families, in our community, and beyond. Last Sunday with the missions conference, beyond. But, but in our families, that we have a responsibility to love and help people that we're kin to know about Jesus Christ. And the paragraph on family ministry says we value the home as a place of evangelism and discipleship. And I think sometimes we, uh, we, we put that to the side and we focus more on evangelism out there with other people. We have all these reasons we, we don't focus on it with our family. But I, I want to I challenge us and encourage us to think about Christmas and evangelism with our family during the Christmas season. Now, I know that's a sensitive subject. 
I know sometimes we have all these thoughts in our minds about where we can't talk to anybody that we're kin to. Um, I remember when, uh, you know, I was a kid. We, as, as you know my story, we weren't Christians, didn't go to church, weren't followers of Christ. My mom's twin sister was a very devout believer, and she and her family. And I still remember the year that mom's sister sent her a Christmas gift early, and it was an, an album. Uh, I'll have to explain that in the next service, a record. You all know what I'm talking about. It was, it was, a, it was a Southern Gospel record album. And, uh, and I remember I was all excited. I got it out and played it. I'd never heard that stuff before, and so I was listening to it. Mom got mad, put it back in the, in, in the album jacket and wrapped it up and sent it back to her sister. Now, Mom's saved today, but she wasn't then. And so I, I recognize that it can be sensitive and we can be afraid, but here's the thing. We can't control people's response, but you, listen, that's true not only with family. Is that not also true with anybody you talk to about Jesus? Isn't that also true with anybody you might invite to church? And the reality is it's no different with family than it is with anybody else. Satan has just convinced us in our own mind we can't do it with family. And I think that's one of his biggest tools, one of his biggest tricks, one of his most damning lies so that we won't do evangelism because I have a conviction that if we won't talk to our family and relatives and friends, we probably won't talk to anybody else about Jesus either. So, I want to help you. I want to help you. I want to encourage you and give you some tools. And in just a moment, we're going to look at some things in the book of Colossians. So if you want to open your Bible there, you can, Colossians 4. But before that, I want to explain this tool. You see all of these little things laying up here at the edge of the, of the, of the, the platform. You see all this up here? These are wooden Christmas ornaments. Wooden Christmas ornaments. We have a thousand of these, so we have enough for each person to take one. Now, only take one today, and then after everybody in both services has one, any we have left, you can get more. But take one if you'd like to. And uh, so it's, it's, it's a simple wooden Christmas ornament. And I'm going to ask you during the invitation to come down here and get one. On the front side of it, you'll see that it's a nativity scene, a manger scene, and it has has written there. For God so loved the world, John 3.16. The back of it is blank. What I'm asking you to do, encouraging you to do, is take one of these ornaments and on the back of this write the name of someone you're going to see, okay? Someone you will see face-to-face at Christmas or a few days before Christmas. So not somebody who's on the other side of the country that you're not going to see. Someone that you, you're going to be in physical, physical proximity with leading up to Christmas, okay? That doesn't know Christ, is not engaged in church, is far from God. And I want you to write their name or names on the back. If it's a family, okay, or if it's an individual, on the back of this. And then hang this on your Christmas tree, even if it doesn't match your decor. <laughs> hang it on your Christmas tree and spend the next 30 days praying for that person or that family to come to faith in Jesus Christ, to know how much he loves them, praying for them. Now, to help you with the prayer, and I know you have people on your hearts because these are all the cards, hundreds and hundreds of cards that you all filled out back in May. We used a 30-day prayer guide 
in the summer, and it's available to you again. 30-day prayer guide for who's your one. What it does is each day for 30 days, there's a Bible passage and then a brief paragraph explaining how you can pray for your person that day using that Bible passage. Now, we have 200 copies of this printed booklet on a table in the back. You're welcome to take one. Many of you, though, rather than doing this, can use the app on your smartphone or your your pad or your device. And if you go to the Bible app, the U version, the U version Bible app, um, and under the plans, just do a search for who's your one prayer guide. This will come up. And uh, everything that's in this booklet will be on your app. And so that's what I do rather than using the booklet. I just use the app on my phone and uh, pray. And so you can spend the next 30 days praying for your one, the name that's on this arm. Now think about something. Today is what, November 17th? If you start this today or tomorrow, if you don't have your tree up yet, um, hang it somewhere until you get your tree up and start the prayer time today. This means that you will have prayed for your person every day for 30 days by the time December 17, 18 comes along the week before Christmas. And I'm asking you at that time to take this ornament off your tree. See the person whose name you wrote on here. Give them the ornament as a gift. And say to them something along these lines. This ornament's been hanging on our tree for the last month. And I've been praying or we've been praying for you. We've been praying for your family every day. And we just want you to know how much Jesus loves you and wants a relationship with you. That's pretty simple. And then you can invite them to come to Christmas services with you. Because in December we will have invite cards about our two Christmas Eve services as well as the Sunday before Christmas when I'm going to preach a special message designed especially for people you will invite to church that Sunday who do not know Jesus Christ. That's about as simple as we can make it, brothers and sisters. So we want to give you a tool. Now, let me give you some encouragement and some guidance from Scripture. Colossians chapter 4 for doing evangelism with our family, with our friends during Christmas. And this all applies to other times of the year as well. But uh, Colossians uh, chapter 4, starting at verse 2. Let's just read the whole passage together, going through verse 6. Would you stand with me as we read together? Colossians 4, verse 2. He says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert, keeping alert in it in prayer with an attitude of thanksgiving. And then Paul adds, praying at the same time for us, for Paul and his, his team. Pray for us as well that God will open, will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been in prison, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. And then he adds, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, those who are not part of the church family, those who are not followers of Christ, toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Thank you, and you can be seated. I want to give you three helps, three three guidelines, three suggestions, three three pointers from this passage about doing evangelism, especially with your family and your friends, your loved ones, but anyone uh, really, okay? 
And uh, I want you to notice in here, he, he, in the middle of, of that passage, in uh, verse 3, Paul says, pray for us to have an open door so that we can speak forth the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ refers in the New Testament to the, to the idea that it was through Jesus and his atoning death that God was going to save humanity. And the truth is that for most people in this world who are far from God, Jesus is a mystery. They may have heard his name. They may know a few facts about him, but they don't really know him, and he's a mystery to them. They don't really get it. And your loved ones, your friends who are far from God, in many ways Jesus is a mystery to them. And the only way this mystery is going to be cleared up is for us to do some talking. That literally means reveal the mystery to to. to to uncover it, to, to make it known. You, you and I are the ones that God has put here to do that for them. And so he says in verse, verse 3, pray that God will open up a door for us. Pray that God opens up a door, an opportunity for us to speak the word and in so doing, clear up this mystery. Help them understand who Jesus Christ is. Now, Paul said, I've been doing this, and, and because of that, I'm imprisoned. So think about this. Paul is in prison because he's been talking about Jesus. And yet he says, I want you to pray that God will give me even more opportunities, even though I'm in prison right now, that God will give me even more opportunities to speak about Jesus and clear up this mystery for people who are far from God. Now, if Paul could ask the Colossians to pray for him like that while he was in prison, why are you and I so easily intimidated? Uh, I mean, the, the worst that's going to happen is some relative or some friend is going to say, well, I'm, I'm not interested or I don't want to hear about that. So don't be intimidated. Don't be afraid. He says pray that God opens up an opportunity, that God opens a door for us to do this. And, and, and I think we want that opportunity, and so prayer is really important. That is the reason we have this 30-day prayer guide, whether you use the booklet or the app on your, on your, on your smart device, the version, the Bible app, it's there. I've got it on mine, and that's what I use. So we want you to be praying. And, you know, here's something interesting, brothers and sisters. When you pray, when you pray, especially in, in terms of evangelism, you've got these, the one, the, the names on these, you're going to be praying for God is going to work in three places. Okay, now, now hear this. Maybe jot this down. God's going to work in three places. When you pray, first, God is going to work in the heart, life, and mind of the lost person for whom you're praying. Whether they let you know that or not, whether they show it or not, God always works in someone's life when you pray for them. So when you put a name on this ornament, put it on your tree, and you pray every day for the next 30 days for that person, God is going to speak to them. God's going to bring people into their lives. God is going to condition their heart. God is going to rem God's going to let things happen that just remind them of Jesus. God's going to allow things happen to happen that will remind them of the, the 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 fragile nature of life, of eternity. God is God is always going to work in that person's life every time. Every time. Doesn't mean they're guaranteed to obey because God created us with free will. But they're going to hear from God. Now, the second place God works when you pray evangelistically, God will work in your life and mind. 
See, when you pray daily, when you pray consistently for people who are lost, God works in you. God will grow your burden for that person. God will give you opportunities. God will uh, grow your your confidence. God God will work in you. And, And you're going to respond to that work of God or stop praying. And I think sometimes the reason we stop praying is because God starts working in us. We don't like what he's doing, so we stop praying. Same reason we sometimes stop reading the Bible. You can't read the Bible and you can't pray without God working in your life. Third place God will work is in creating an opportunity for the two of you to talk. God works in the situation. See, if you're praying every day for 30 days for somebody who's lost, God's going to work in that person's life. He's going to work in your life. And God's going to open up a door of opportunity. Now, you still have to seize it. You have to see it. You have to take advantage of it. But God will create it. And that is another reason for us to be praying. And I encourage you to use the prayer guide on the app or the booklet, either one. So biblical guidance number one is to pray. That was verse 3. Also more about prayer. Look at verse 2, verse 2 of chapter 4. He said, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. To be devoted to it means to be persistent, to not quit. 30 days. It's been said that you have to do something over and over again repeatedly for different numbers, but for a month or whatever before it becomes a habit. Devote yourselves to it. Stick with it. 30 days between now and the week leading up to Christmas. Pray for your one. Pray for the name on this. Every day, every day, every day, every day. Be devoted to it. Keeping alert. That means don't go to sleep. (laughs) Don't get lazy. Don't quit. Pay attention. Be focused. Be determined with thanksgiving, an attitude of thanksgiving, because you recognize that you are dependent on God. You can't reach anybody for Christ. You can't save anybody. God can. We're his instruments, but it's up to God. And so, God, we're just thankful that we're saved. We're thankful for that person. We're thankful for the opportunity to be part of their lives. We're thankful to be an instrument in your hand. God, I thank you that I can pray. I thank you that I can invite them to church. I thank you that I can share with them your word and truth. I thank you that I can love them and serve them. Be thankful. So pray, pray, pray. Look at verse 4. He, he, after asking the Colossians to pray that God would give them an open door to make clear the mystery of Christ, he said in verse 4 that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. So pray. When you start praying today or tomorrow for your one, also start praying for God to give you the words to say when you speak to them. Start praying for God to give you the courage and the boldness you'll need. Start praying that God will open up the door of opportunity. Start praying that God will help you know how to be clear and not beat around the bush. Praying that God will help you know how to say it with kindness and with gentleness and with love. But but pray, pray, 
pray. Biblical guideline number one for doing evangelism with your family is to pray. Now let me ask you something. If the number of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ was dependent on how many lost people you pray for consistently and daily, how many people would be getting saved? Pray. No substitute for prayer when it comes to evangelism. Biblical guideline number two is be smart. Be smart. Be wise. Look in Colossians chapter 4 at verse 5. Verse 5. He says, conduct yourselves. The the old King James translates it, walk. It's your manner of living. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward whom? Who, church? Who are the outsiders? Those who are far from God. Those who are not part of the family of faith. Making the most of the opportunity. So he says, be wise. The word wisdom there is God's wisdom that regulates our behavior. Conduct or walk or live, how we, how we go about interacting with them. Um, the word translated conduct or live there is, is, is in the tense. It's the idea of a future activity that is ongoing. So as you go forward in life, from today forward, and your relationship with that person as you go forward, as you continuously, day after day, month after month, year after year, in your relationship with that person, be wise. Now, what he's getting at is, is be wise in how you interact with them so that you don't give them a reason to criticize you. You don't give them a reason to criticize you as being phony, to criticize you as being a hypocrite, to criticize you as being a jerk. To criticize you as being unloving, be wise. I shared with, I think I shared with you all a couple years ago that uh, my my baby brother, I just made the decision we no longer talk about politics because we don't agree. And I've got to be honest with you. It's more important to me to have a positive relationship with my brother than it is for him to agree with me on any political issue. It's more important to me that my brother know Jesus and I be a positive influence in his life than, I, than, than, than who he votes for in this upcoming election. I'm not saying the other stuff doesn't matter. But if I win my brother over to political point of view, but in doing so cause him to reject Jesus because I'm just so mean and belligerent... <laughs> Where's the wisdom in that? I love my brother more than that. And so we just don't talk about that stuff. And now our relationship it's, it, our relationship has improved dramatically since, since that. In fact, we went fishing a month ago up in Tennessee. Did some uh, bass fishing. We'll go again uh, early January. So y'all pray for us to catch something. Do you get my point? Jesus is saying, be wise, be smart in how you interact with the people you're trying to influence for Christ. Biblical guideline number two. Biblical guideline number three is learn learn to speak um, with grace. Look at verse six. 
He says, let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will, you will know how you should respond to each person. Now, doesn't that connect a little bit with verse 5, what we just looked at? Let your speech always be with grace. When you, with grace. She's a graceful person. Love and kindness and gentleness. With grace. As though seasoned with salt. I mean, I know too much salt will give you blood pressure issues, but without salt, things don't taste good. Salt, salt's good. Um, salt's good. Jesus said your words are to be like that, make things better, not worse. Your words, you know, salt is a preservative, so your words are to also cause, the, be, be the kind of words that enable relationships to, to last, to improve, not end and get worse. So how we, how we speak with people, how we talk to people, how we talk about people who are lost. See, because of all the cultural wars and all the politics and philosophy, if we're not careful sometimes in our church, we get to talking about lost people so bad, we end up hating them instead of loving them. And how are we ever going to influence anybody for Jesus if we hate them? Let your, let your speech, he says, be seasoned with salt, with grace, like, 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 like salt. So you know how to respond, how to, how to talk. Do you, do you remember what Jesus said in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5? He said, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has become tasteless, lost its flavor, how can it be made salty again? You know, words, once they're out, man, they cut and they're out and it's hard to get them back, isn't it? He said, it's, once it becomes tasteless, that salt's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men in Matthew 5.13. In the next couple of verses, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You're like a city set on a hill which cannot be hidden. So they're high in the distance and easily seen. You're the light of the world. He said, you don't. A lot of lamp and put it under a basket. You don't hide your light, but you put it on a lampstand. You put it up there and it gives light to all who are in the house. And then Jesus said, let your light shine before men, shine before other people in such a way that they can see your good works, see your gracious works, see your wise behavior and your loving acts of service. Because when they do that, the result is they will glorify God. They will glorify God. They will glorify God. So, write a name on this. Hang it on your tree. Pray for them. Pray for yourself and pray for an opportunity. And do it every day for the next 30 days. And then take it off the tree and give it to them. And say, or the dean, and dean's he's saved, but I'm just illustrating. Dean, I've been praying for you for this month. This has been on my tree, and uh, I want to give it to you as a gift, this ornament. But I want you to know I've been praying for you this month, every day, because I want you to know how special you are and how much Jesus loves you. 
and how much Jesus wants a relationship with you. And I'd love it if you would come to church with me and celebrate Christmas with me in church this, this week. Can you do that? I think we can. Who's the name God's put on your heart? Because I believe for most of you in the room, there's already a name or a family that God wants you to write their name on these ornaments.